to Biblical Tapestry Podcast Season 2, Episode 13 on the Book of Daniel, Judgment on the King and Fulfillment of the Dream. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is its own commentary and how the Gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation. In this 13th episode of the Book of Daniel, Chapter 4, we look at how the judgment on Nebuchadnezzar, given to him in a dream, now becomes a, a reality. One year later, all the horrible events that were foretold in the dream are set in motion by Nebuchadnezzar's pride. All right, let's start in verse 28 of Daniel chapter 4. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory while the words were still in the king's mouth a voice came from heaven king nebuchadnezzar to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you you will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants at that moment the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like a cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, What have you done? At that time my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and my nobles sought me out. I was re-established over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the King of the heavens, because all of his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. All right, back to verse 28 through 30. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. The king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? Well, lots of things change in our lives in the course of a year. Apparently, the dream, as explained by Daniel, was not in the forefront of Nebuchadnezzar's thinking. God had allowed Nebuchadnezzar a full year to repent of his sins and acknowledge Yahweh as the one sovereign God. However, Pride is never that far from the surface. It says that he was walking on the roof of the palace overlooking Babylon and perhaps many of the world's greatest wonders at the time, including perhaps the famous Hanging Gardens. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, according to the Greek culture. They were described as a remarkable feat of engineering that was an ergorat, a structure, a tiered structure that had gardens on the tiers which contained a wide variety of trees shrubs and vines it resembled a large mountain 
and it was one of the most beautiful things that people had seen. And with pride, he exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? Well, this was the trigger for the fulfillment of the judgment against Nebuchadnezzar. Look what he says. This was the city he built based on his vast power and his majestic glory. Well, certainly, we can give Nebuchadnezzar credit for many achievements, but sadly, he failed to give God the glory for his blessings. He was boasting of his own greatness and self-importance. The truth is, we are nothing without the grace and gifts of God. All that we are, all that we have, are all gifts from God, the Creator and Sustainer. Nebuchadnezzar attributed to himself the glory that rightly belonged to God. God's divine judgment now falls on him. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. While the words were still in the king's mouth, judgment is announced as indicated 12 months earlier. It appears that the king heard these words audibly. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest earthly king at the time, would now live like an animal and have his kingdom he was so proud of temporarily yanked from him. He would eat grass like an ox for seven years until he finally repents of his pride and gives God the glory. God is the ruler over human kingdoms still today, and he gives them to anyone he wants to serve his purposes. Verse 33, at that moment the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Nebuchadnezzar's actions became as an ox. And because of this absolutely bizarre behavior, no one wanted to be near him, and perhaps they were still afraid of him, afraid of his power. He lived outdoors with the cattle and was exposed to the weather just as they were. This lack of hygiene and no concern for himself led to some issues. His hair became like feathers, describes that it became matted hair, like an unkept dog. His fingers and toenails would never be cut, so they grew long and became like claws of a bird. This man, who thought of himself superior to all men, and perhaps a god, was reduced to something subhuman. This continues for seven years until he comes to his senses and realizes that God was sovereign in the affairs of men. Now it's interesting that information from the last 30 years of Nebuchadnezzar's reign is very sparse. There is no record of the king's illness. And I would assume such a humiliating episode would have been stricken from the records as such a weakness would have been something to not leave for history. Most everything written about a king was political theater and propaganda. Well, come to think of it, things have not changed that much. Verse 34, 
But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven, and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High, and honored and glorified him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Now we get back to the first-person narrative of this chapter. At the end of seven years, the king looked to heaven, which is an act of submission. It's an act of surrender. It's an act of acknowledgement that Yahweh was the Most High God. That simple acknowledgement restored his sanity, and the king actively praised God for his everlasting dominion and his everlasting kingdom that goes on forever. He acknowledges that God lives forever, and he alone is sovereign. Verse 35, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, What have you done? Stephen Miller writes, Once more, God's sovereignty is emphasized. Compared to our Creator, all humanity is nothing. But yet God in His sovereignty sent Jesus Christ to suffer and die at the hands of His creation so that we can have the gift of eternal life and can be with Him in glory. Sovereign, yes, but the love of God is all-surpassing. We are nothing in comparison, but everything also to our Creator. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 through 17, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with a span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains on a balance and the hills on the scales? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust in the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon's cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. Yet God in all of his glory saves mankind who invites him into our lives. We see this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, in this great hymn. He is the image of the invisible God. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Nebuchadnezzar took seven years living like an ox to come to acknowledge God's power and sovereignty. None has the wisdom or might to challenge the power or actions of the omnipotent, omniscient God, states Stephen Miller. That includes modern-day leaders who thumb their noses at God in his creation 
and whom do not value human life as God does, be their own citizens or those in another country, judgment will be extracted on in this life or the next for that. Verse 36. At that time my sanity returned to me, and my majesty and splendor returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and my nobles sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and even more greatness came to me. As the king repented, his sanity was restored, his kingdom was restored, his honor was restored. God honors those who honor him. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, it says, Therefore, this is the declaration of the Lord, the God of Israel. I did say that your family and your forefather's family would walk before me forever, but now... This is the Lord's declaration. No longer, for those who honor me, I will honor. For those who despise me will be disgraced. What is fascinating is that the nobles and advisors, hearing of the sanity restored to the king, sought him out. They came to him. How bad had things gotten under his son? We, well, we know this incredible kingdom that was Babylon lasted all of just 70 years. They were more than eager to restore the throne to Nebuchadnezzar. We know that Daniel was still chief of the advisors during this period and may have instigated the restoration based on the interpretation of the dream. Apparently, the restoration was even greater than before the mental illness. Verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just, he's able to humble those who walk in pride. This is a direct testimony from Nebuchadnezzar who praises God. Everything God does is worthy of praise because all of his works are true and just. The king is admitting that he had been proud and that God's judgment of him was proper, even after seven years of living like an ox. Praise is worthy because of Nebuchadnezzar's last statement. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. Proverbs 16 verse 18 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. The king learned a very painful lesson from the God of gods. People who walk in pride today will stumble over the very same issue. This is a cause and effect relationship with pride and fall. It is a spiritual law that is still in effect. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. It appears that the king now has some kind of saving faith in God and not the pantheon of gods that the Babylonians believed in. The king of Babylon was no match for the king and creator of the universe. God still reigns. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-6 through six says this, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings, and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. I again hope you enjoy this Season 2 study in the book of Daniel. Next episode 14 in chapter 5, 
We will continue to study, in this case, Belshazzar's feast and the fall of Babylon. God bless you today, and I encourage you to spend some time in God's Word. Please note that Biblical Tapestry has a Facebook and Instagram page, and I encourage you to like this podcast if you feel that this is deserved. Please share this podcast as well. God bless and take care.